This is Unfiltered, episode 346 for January 28th, 2021. More than two weeks after the attack on the Capitol, authorities continue to identify and arrest those involved. From retired firefighters to college students and even elected officials, the nationwide dragnet now putting a spotlight on extremism and how it fueled an insurrection. If you attempt to overturn and overrun our democracy through violence or uprising, you will pay the price. Hello, friends, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. I admit it, I've been feeling a little guilty. There's a lot I haven't told you about. There's been so much going on that behind the scenes, your Unfilter show has been actually doing some pretty cool stuff. So I want to mention it right here at the top of the show, and I think a lot of you are going to get why I'm doing this immediately. We have set up a a standby room, a backup community spot on Matrix, because Different Discord servers have been getting shut down that are talking about the election. If if you are skeptical of the election, which I'm not implying necessarily that's the narrative of the show, but I am saying there's people that are having the freedom of speech and conversation in our Discord, and that kind of freedom of speech has been getting Discord servers shut down. And the account owner, which would be me, my account completely suspended, if it happens. Hasn't happened yet, so what I have done is set up a spot. It's already available. Now I want to start building and kind of cultivating it now. So just in case something like that were to ever happen, heaven forbid, we have a spot. So you can find that at unfilter.show slash matrix. Information on how to connect is there. Unfilter.show slash matrix on the web. Additionally, tinkering around with how I'll do video in the future, because I don't think YouTube's probably the platform for this show. (laughs) <laughs> you know, probably for obvious reasons. No, 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 no. But what no, I am going to do no, 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 no. is I, no, I, no, I am going to start publishing more often on the new PeerTube instance. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is like a YouTube in a box. It's an open source YouTube in a box that I have set up on my own server using my own storage, and it's at unfilter.tube. And as a special treat, I'm going to post a overtime segment, additional clips that didn't make it into this here podcast. I'm going to post an unfiltered 346 overtime full video up on Jupiter.tube. Go check it out because that's a place I'll start publishing and perhaps maybe even live streaming in the future if uh, there's issues with Twitch. Who knows, right? Who knows? I just thought it'd be I thought it'd just be prudent to get that stuff figured out, start using more distributed open source technologies. And I wanted to let you know about it. And so from time to time, I'm going to start tossing stuff up on that PeerTube instance, including if I as long as I can backups of our live stream. So if I've been live streaming and you missed it, I'm going to try to get them posted. And I've done a couple of those. Some of our, our election coverage and the riot coverage is now up on Jupiter.tube if you missed that, as well as uh, last Last week's episode, which is also a live stream of the inauguration, or whenever that was, because God, it all runs together now. What I really want to talk about right now, though, is COVID, because we haven't really done a lot of that just with all of the election stuff going on and insurrection, insurrection, I need to say it with my voice trembling. Let me try it one more time. Insurrection? It sounds like you're on heroin or something. That's not what I was going for. But let's talk about the coronavirus. And it seems that the Democrats have an ally in fighting the coronavirus. And see, we always thought Republicans 
were the big corporate party. But it seems that the Democrats have friends in high places making vaccine rollout one click. Corporate America is looking to aid in the distribution of a vaccine. Eamon Javers has how companies around the country are helping with that process. Eamon. Yeah, good morning. What we're seeing here is this new relationship developing as this push for the vaccination, 100 million doses in 100 days, takes place by the Biden administration. We're seeing companies now interfacing with their state and local governments, trying to offer help and develop new relationships with those state and federal leaders. Take a look at some of the companies who are getting involved now, starting uh, with Starbucks, which is offering in Washington state to help develop uh, Starbucks vaccination centers. They're calling it a Starbucks with just one product uh, in the state there. They're talking to the governor. The Amazon uh, just last week, I think a lot of people noticed they had offered the Biden administration help with vaccinations of its own employees, as well as communications and personal assistance, uh, in t- personnel assistance in terms of people on the ground. Google is offering $150 million uh, to promote vaccination education around the country. Honeywell in North Carolina offering logistical help with last mile vaccine distribution. Other companies here in Seattle, Amazon set up a pop up area and was vaccinated for a couple of hours. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see if that makes a difference. I, I keep hearing all these supply constraint issues. And so it seems like the issue isn't at the at the distribution uh, final point, but it's at it's somewhere up f- higher up in the chain. But I'm waiting for more information on that. So I'm watching everything Fauci says. And really what I've been seeing is just, God, it's kind of gross. It's, it's, it's Fauci hobnobbing with the press. How helpful would it have been if Amazon got involved with the federal response to COVID-19 before Biden took office. And do you know about any plans or discussions ahead of yesterday? No, I I don't think I could answer that question. Uh, I'd I'd be waving my hands about that, sorry. Well, you know, one of the new things in this administration is if you don't know the answer, don't guess. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So... Um, <laughs> there's a few shots taken here. You know, one of the new things in this administration is if you don't know the answer, don't guess. <laughs> Just say you don't know the answer. Yeah. What has been uh, your experience uh, with this new team? And in your view, what would have been different in terms of the trajectory of this outbreak from the start had a team like this been in place at the beginning? What a hardball question, huh? So what do you like about your new boss? And what do you like about the new team you've assembled where you fired everybody you didn't like? What are you, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? What'd you have for breakfast? I mean, these are the real hard questions they're throwing at anybody in. Uh, tr- oh, right. No, this is Biden's team. Never mind. Well, I can tell you my my impression of 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 what's going on right now. The team. I don't, I don't know if I can extrapolate other things. But one of the things that was very clear as recently as about 15 minutes ago when I was with the president is that one of the things that we're going to do is to be completely transparent open and honest. If things go wrong, not point fingers, but to correct them and to make everything we do be based on science and evidence. I just I mean, that was literally a conversation I had 15 minutes ago with the president. And- now, I, I'm not saying that the Trump administration um, was great at this, but I will point out they were the ones that brought him in to begin with. Uh, and then the other thing that I kind of find interesting here is is sort of this implication, and we're going to get into this a little bit, a little bit further, that it really is it's a it's a difference in an administration that listens to data versus an administration that listens to their heart. But then later on, 
Dr. Burks is going to argue that it was just different data. So they have a different and somewhat conflicting message here. So I'm going to back this up a little bit so you can kind of memorize it when we get a little bit further into the show and play those clips. I mean, that was literally a conversation I had 15 minutes ago with the president. And he has said that multiple times. May you, uh, looking back on, on your comments of the last 10 or 12 months, would like to now, with that sort of license, to, to, to amend or clarify? No, I mean, I, I always said everything on the base. That's why I got in trouble sometimes. Right. Yeah. Right. You've joked a couple times t- today already about the difference in that you feel in being kind of the spokesperson for this issue in this administration versus the previous one. Can you can you talk a little bit about how free, how much different do you feel, less constrained? What is the, you know, I mean, you, you for so many times you stood up behind the podium with Donald Trump standing behind you. That was a different, that was a different feeling, I sh- I'm, I'm sure, than it is today. Can- what kind of question is this? And you know what's insulting is these people that are asking these questions, the, the people that sit in the White House, the people that go there and sit in these chairs are like the cream of the crop. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding you. It's like a prestigious position. <laughs> and this is the kind of just, I don't even know what to call this. So call, this the, we need a term. Please let me know. That's way better than softball because softball doesn't begin to describe the omnoming of Fauci's knob that's happening here. Behind you, that was a different, that was a different feeling, I sh- I'm, I'm sure, than it is today. Can you talk a little bit about, about how you feel? He's literally asking him about Fauci's feels. This is, oh God, I can get really angry about this the more I think about this. This is a coronavirus pandemic briefing. Two million deaths in the United States. At the moment that that guy, that reporter, was asking Dr. Fauci about his feels, at that moment, that day, 2,235 people died. And he's asking the guy that's the lead spokesperson, in his words, for this pandemic here in the United States, about his feels. You think that's what would have gone on if this was the Trump administration? I mean, I'm not going to make this comparison all the time because it's going to get old. But give me a break. Here. Feeling, I sh- I'm, I'm sure, than it is today. Can you talk a little bit about about how you feel, uh, kind of released from from what you had been doing for the last year? Yeah, but you said I was joking about it. I was very serious <laughs> about it. I wasn't joking. Um, no, actually, I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be going back, you know, over history. But it was very clear that there were things that were said. Uh, be like the time I said, don't wear masks it, regarding things like hydroxychloroquine and other things like that. That really was an uncomfortable because they were not based on scientific fact. I can tell you, I, I take no pleasure at all in being in a situation of contradicting the president. So it was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The idea that you can get up here. I believe that. And talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and know that's it. Let the science speak. It is somewhat of a liberating feeling. Is he really this naive? Uh, This is what just dawned on me. He's either kissing the ass of the new boss, and, I mean, I could make a whole episode out of Fauci playing politics, and I hate to see it. I was having a conversation earlier this week with a friend, and I just said, I hate to see this. I hate to see, I I hate to have all these clips that I could just sit here and play. And it really is like, it just makes Fauci seem really uncredible and really, um, 
like a political player. And I, I hate that because in this in this situation, we really do need some voice from the government that we can trust. I think when you look at every major issue that the country is facing right now, when it comes to the protests that happened recently on the West Coast this last weekend, or when it comes to the protests that happened at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago, both on the one on the left, one on the right, both of them suffering from a systemic lack of trust. A systemic lack of trust in any institution, be it the financial institutions, be it the media, or the government. And so to have Fauci here kind of playing politics, it makes him less credible. And my God, we just need one voice in this that is credible. And so I hate to see this. Basically vanished for a, for a few months uh, there for a while. <laughs> you feel like you're back now? I think so. <laughs> well. I, I mean, it, I, I think we're the, perhaps it, how could how could this man be naive about the fact that the administration, of course, of course, the president's going to say, let the science lead you speak your heart. Of course, they're going to say that it's the underlings that come along later and say, uh, hey, uh, Anthony, we uh, we need to talk. Um, you know, the president's really trying to focus on getting the economy rolling again. And so what we need to kind of do is transition the argument to back to the flu. Can you do that for us? And he would play ball. I mean, this is the situation we now face in. And it just it kills me. And here's the other side is because because Fauci has kind of played this political game. He knew he knew just enough how to push back to save himself in the eyes of the media and the left establishment. Dr. Burks didn't play that game as well. And now she's paying the ultimate price for not being fully political. Apology tours and reputation rejuvenation are quite in vogue right now in the wake of President Trump's exit from the White House. And that includes the curious case of Dr. Deborah Burks, who appeared on CBS News. Did you ever consider quitting? Always. Last March, Burks began the pandemic buttering up President Trump, even as he denied science. He's been so attentive to the scientific literature and the details and the data. And I think his his ability to analyze and integrate data that comes out of his long history in business has really been a real benefit during these discussions about medical issues. And here's her ultimate sin, because you can find Fauci saying some of the same kind of stuff. You can find Fauci saying, don't wear a mask. But Fauci's ultimate sin was he didn't kind of push back later on. Burks didn't want to go the political route. In fact, she says that it's kind of critical for the function of this apparatus that the technical roles that she play don't turn into a political one. Army? Yes. An immunologist, you were appointed by President Obama to work on AIDS relief, as you mentioned, at the State Department. Yet your name in the history books is going to be associated with President Donald Trump. How does that sit with you? Well, you know, this is what worries me. If we start looking at technical civil servants as belonging to a political party, 
we will lose the ability for highly qualified civil servants to come and help. If we start saying, if you come in and do this, you are then going to be part of the political apparatus, that is going to be very dangerous for this country. I think that makes a lot of sense. If if you turn somebody who's supposed to be, as the way she described it, she was putting data together for the White House. Specifically, she was funneling it to Pence because Pence was in charge of the Corona Task Force. Uh, if you watch that interview with her from CBS, they go after Trump for not reading some of her stuff directly, even though it would have been Pence's responsibility to pass it on to Trump. Uh, but... She argues that the issue wasn't that Trump didn't respect the science. Trump didn't respect the data. See, that's what Fauci said, right, just a few moments ago. No, what Burke says is that he respected the data. It was just he was respecting the wrong data, a parallel data stream. And she seems quite intent on making this point, if not a bit nervous while doing so. There was parallel data streams coming into the White House that were not transparently utilized. And I needed to stop that. Where people you mean outside were, advisors? Outside advisors coming to inside advisors. And to this day, I mean, until the day I left, I am I'm convinced there were parallel data streams because I... Disinformation. I saw the president presenting graphs that I never made. So I know that someone or someone out there or someone inside was creating a parallel set of data... Honestly, you could you could speculate all day long. You know, it was Jared. It was uh, it was Q. No, it it was the intelligence agencies. That would not surprise me, actually, at all, that the intelligence agencies wouldn't be briefing him on what how they are reviewing all of this and graphics that were shown to the president. I know what I sent up. And I know that what was in his hands was different from that. You can't do that. You have to use the entire database to this day. I don't know. I know now watching some of the tapes that certainly Scott Atlas brought in parallel data streams. So the chief of staff is not saying, wait a second, this is our official coordinator. Listen to her and her only. Listen to you. No one was saying that. No one said that to me. To the president. I I don't know if they were saying it to the president. That's pretty fascinating. Now, of course, she could be just trying to save her reputation. Because like the interviewer said, you're going to be associated with Trump. And perhaps she'd rather be associated with her efforts in the fight against AIDS or something like that. So we'll see. And perhaps she's looking for redemption in the eyes of the media. But they don't seem inclined to give it to her. They're asking her the hard questions and they're playing the clips of her embarrassing herself. It's funny how they always end up getting in trouble for that. Well, uh, I want to transition to a little bit more into this about the lack of trust. I mean, I was... Ribbon Fauci for saying we don't need to wear masks at the beginning of this thing. And I think the, uh, the, the, I mean, I would have thought the idea was unless people know how to wear them properly and they're, you know, a proper level of filtration, they're not doing a lot. Must have been his thought process. Or perhaps his thought process was he didn't want to create a run on N95 masks. Whatever it was, you know, that was something that led to um, this changing, evolving narrative is something that led to a lack of faith in what we're being told. And it's a tricky one because you have to leave room for things to evolve. You have to leave room for somebody like Fauci or yourself to receive new information 
and kind of come to a new conclusion on the effectiveness of something. Like you, you have to you have to weigh all of these things. But this this thing they're asking us now, I'm having some trouble with it, and it's probably not what you would expect. Now we're being told you may want to double mask, perhaps even triple mask up, mask up even harder. It's time to double down on mask wearing. This is not something to wait on. We should be getting higher quality masks and people should be wearing higher quality masks more or less right away. While N95 masks are still the gold standard, blocking 95% of particles, they may be harder to find and should be reserved for healthcare workers. Experts now say the next best thing may be double masking. Wearing two masks helps improve the filtration ability of the mask in both directions. And so it helps protect you better and it helps protect others. Researchers at Virginia Tech found layering two cloth masks will up the efficacy from 50% to 75%. And wearing a three-layer mask can block up to 90% of particles, providing near N95 protection. Now, hold on a second here. Yeah, here's my problem with this. If, if saying which seems obvious on its face, that double masking up and triple masking up is more effective, isn't that also implicitly saying that the single paper and cloth masks were not effective enough? Isn't, aren't you implicitly saying that if we really, because there's new variants that are even more contagious, we got to double mask up now? And let me ask you something, science man. I know I can just, I, I'm starting to get bitter about the, the people that listen in the audience that go, oh, I got them on this one. Like, okay, let me ask you something. These new contagious variants, are they a different fucking size? Are they a different size? Or are they the same size that COVID-19 has been this entire time? Because that's what matters with the mask. It's the filtration, it's the filtration of the particles that matters. And here's what I'm having a problem with. I'm going to back it up just a little bit. Just so we're all on the same page here. Protect others. Researchers at Virginia Tech found layering two cloth masks will up the efficacy from 50% to 75%. If we're now telling people to double mask up, we are implicitly saying that the single mask was not effective enough. Which is also saying, if you question the effectiveness of masks, you were correct doesn't mean you shouldn't wear a mask. But it means if you went, hmm, is this thin piece of cloth really doing me any good? You were correct to question that. And every time we were told the reason why corona is spreading is because you didn't wear a mask enough, even though here in Washington and places like California, everybody's got a mask on. And you, you're part of the problem. If you ever dared to question the all-holy face diaper, and here we are, now we're told, not good enough. And it's not like Corona just got smaller. And this is the point in the show where I say this. Anything that's dogma should be questioned. Anything that is dogma should be questioned. Questioning is not rejecting. Questioning is not rejecting. Anything that's dogma should be questioned. Questioning is not rejecting. 
I got a real problem with this. I got a real problem with this because it's been masked the fuck up for nine months, 10 months. Every time the virus gets spread, every time numbers go up, we're told it's because you didn't wear a mask. And now we're being told well, they're only 50% effective, according to science, and uh, you should probably wear two of them. Oh, and by the way, a bunch of other factors matter, too. Like it needs to make a seal on your dumb face. Because, of course, otherwise you're sucking air in from around it. That's why the N95 mask has a little metal clip that you tighten around your nose. In fact, you're trained as a nurse how to wear a mask so that way it's effective. And you're also trained that if you don't see a mark from the seal, you're not wearing it effectively. Yeah, yeah, but we'll get there. We'll get there. I am just so angry about this. Because the dogma and the viciousness that anybody who dared ask if a mask is effective was attacked. And now we're being told, eh, not so effective. And so it helps protect you better, and it helps protect others. Researchers at Virginia Tech found layering two cloth masks will up the efficacy from 50% to 75%. And wearing a three-layer mask can block up to 90% of particles, providing near N95 protection. Ideal for so-called high-risk situations, like traveling, going to the grocery store, or gathering with others. You want to wear your best possible mask, which includes multiple layers, ideally some kind of filter material. Wear your best possible mask. And a really good fit. Experts say wearing a single lower grade medical face covering like a KF94 or a double layered cloth covering with a high thread count will provide a basic level of protection if there's a secure fit. <laughs> so two cloth masks. If they're super tight against your face, basic protection is what she just said there. But uh, I think we need more science on this one, guys. So Shep Smith over on CNBC, he has a guest on to really help explain the science behind the double mask. CNBC's Contessa Brewer with us now to break down the science behind double masking and what we're all supposed to do. Contessa? It's science, everybody. Hi there, Shep. Yeah, the experts keep telling us that wearing masks is really about protecting ourselves, protecting others from ourselves in the event that we are contagious. But, you know, if other people aren't wearing their masks or they're wearing them improperly, we need to protect ourselves. See if you can tell when if she I puts the mask on here. Uh, and also, let's uh, if you're if you're doing this at home in the safety of your home and you're having a drink with the show, which if you do that, let me know in the discord. Uh, have a shot every time she says experts. Yeah, the experts keep telling us that wearing masks is really about protecting ourselves, protecting others from ourselves in the event that we are contagious. But, you know, if other people aren't wearing their masks or they're wearing them improperly, we need to protect ourselves. So experts say you can double up with a tight weave fabric mask for added protection. Now, Virginia Tech researchers found that doubling up these cloth masks. Doesn't she just sound great now? <laughs> She just, the audio just really improves for national television. Listen, just then I'll let it go. We are contagious, but you know, if other people aren't wearing their masks or they're wearing them improperly, we need to protect ourselves. So experts say you can double up with a tight weave fabric mask for added protection. Now, Virginia Tech researchers found that doubling up these cloth masks increases the efficacy from 50 to 75%. A three-layer mask could block up to 90% of the particles. And if you're layering your mask, the disposable surgical mask goes on first, and then the tight-fitting fabric mask goes right over the top. 
Okay, so frontline healthcare workers use N95 masks. They're hard to find. And some experts say, look, you should really save those for the medical teams. Others say, if you see them on sale, go ahead, just protect yourself. This is some solid science, guys. I'm this, you know what? I get it now. But the Chinese version, KN95 masks are widely available. They're advertised as being five layers. I bought these on Amazon. I wore them through the airport and on the plane for a recent news assignment. The trick with this is really this fit, tight around your nose, your face, your chin. In other words, you really should see the mark on your face after you're wearing it. You can also buy these double layer fabric masks. They come with a filter like this one. You can take it out and you wash it separately. But Shep, in every instance, fit is the key here. Yeah, no doubt. And as they say on the label, if you have facial hair, you got to cut it because they're not effective with it. Oh, what? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Wait, you know how many guys I see walking around with big old beards? <laughs> this is so great now. This is so rich. So get three masks going so that way you can have a real hard time breathing. And uh, I I just laugh because... What I, 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 it just seems so obvious to me at the very beginning that for any of this shit to be effective, it needs to actually filter out the virus, which is why adding additional layers increases its effectiveness. <laughs> but, you know, at the very beginning when they're telling us, just put any old thing, if all you, and you see like, uh, you see Congress, mem- Congress members, you see anybody walking around like they have scarves over their face that they just pull down and now it's a scarf and they pull up and now it's a mask. Like, it's just a straight-up scarf. Like, that's doing shit anything. I mean, I get it. It's convenient, right? And I, I've got myself a couple of different cloth masks, and I've gone for ones that just look decent because I have a fat head and a beard, so I like, well, i gotta got to find one that looks decent. And, like, none of them tell you about, like, how many layers of filters they have or anything like that. It's all fashion. It's really... <laughs> oh, man. And the people that have fought with such passion for these hollow debates that are now just sort of, uh, you know, after the fact, retroactively modified. It's it's incredible. But, you know, well, as cases surge, like we're having a surge in Washington, you know, we're going to just continue to blame people not masking up. And I don't know what it is. It, it, I guess I have some bacon. I was thinking about this. These limitations of these cloth mask. I just want to focus on that for a moment. Because I actually, you know, I could imagine if you got like those KN95 or whatever the 94, whatever the Chinese knockoffs were, and then you put a cloth mask over that or something like Biden does, I bet you that's effective. I, I bet you that's a good strategy for the rest of your life if you want to go out and about in, in flu season, you don't want to catch shit. You know, wear, wear some nice leather gloves, just wear some gloves that look nice. And put one of those things on with a nice cloth mask over it to make it low key. And I bet that's a really effective strategy. It just, I mean, that's painfully obvious, right? We don't have to, we don't have to acknowledge that. So let's, let's talk about instead the mask like that I have. Like, like I got one from an underwear company because they just make really good underwear. (laughs) So I thought they'd probably make a pretty good mask. And you know what? They do. And it's a factor. You know, you want it to be comfortable, especially if you're traveling or in my case, I had to go into the bank because I was dealing with identity theft and I had to be in there for hours. So uh, that's not doing shit, Jack, anything, is it? It's not. I mean, that's what they just told us. 
And I can't be the only one that thought of that. I'm sure, I'm sure the people like Fauci know that. Your governor's advisors know that. So why? Why then? Why not a focus on something like getting N95 out to the public? Like, we'd, like there was a huge focus on ventilators for a while. What about the Defense Production Act to create a bunch of N95 masks for citizens? Why was there so much energy just on mask and no room for conversation about effectiveness? And the only thing I can come to, and again, this is just conspiracy bacon. I'm not saying this is what it is. I'm just saying this is something I've thought of. Is it's like a placebo for the public to give you something to do. But worse than that, it's also a brilliant way to turn us against each other. The reason why the coronavirus is going up is because those fucking anti-maskers. And why not associate them with Trump supporters? That's great during an election year. So the people that are spreading the virus are these Trump-supporting anti-mask shitheads. And the reason why it continues to spread is because there's just so many of them. And they just won't wear the mask. And instead of the people looking at their leaders, asking why they weren't handling this pandemic better, why they weren't better prepared, when people like Bill Gates, who's not a doctor, saw this coming a million miles away years ago. And why are they destroying our economy? Seemingly arbitrarily now, which I'll get to that. Instead of asking those questions, instead of getting people accountable, they managed to get us fighting each other about the mass. And they managed to make it hurt Trump. And now, now it's, let's actually get these things effective. <laughs> it's really something. And I'm not sure... I. I don't really think we could mask up anymore. I I haven't seen somebody out in public without a mask in a long time. I will say in, early on, that was the case. But here in the Seattle area, I don't go out a ton myself. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, I even see people driving with them on, which I, I don't do that. I, I, no, thank you. And I maybe they just don't want to touch them because maybe they're thinking, you know, the way to make this mask less effective is if I keep touching it, because they're absolutely right about that. That's another problem that we're not allowed to talk about yet. I'm sure we'll get there, though. But, I, you know, Washington hospitals, it's a kind of a mixed bag story. So unlike California that saw a huge COVID crush of cases in the wake of Christmas, Washington hospitals did relatively well, but they are worried that these new variants of the virus could drive those numbers up. They're asking people, therefore, to mask up like they never have before. Double mask up like you never have before. Like you never have before. California has just some crushing numbers. Millions of Americans staying at home are relying on Amazon. Millions of Americans staying at home are relying on Amazon. Millions of Americans staying at home are relying on Amazon. Not the clip I actually meant to play, but I do love that clip. <laughs> 
that was really that was great. Uh, that was the best misfire ever. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's pretty, that's a really good clip of all local news stations reporting on uh, on uh, Amazon in a very. Uh, you know what? Let's play it. I mean, let's play it. So that's uh, uh, that's that's funny that that got mislabeled. But here it is. Amazon has transformed its operations in response to COVID-19 to protect employees and keep packages flowing. Amazon has transformed its operations in response to COVID-19 to protect employees and keep packages flowing. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy while still delivering those packages to your doorstep. The company is keeping employees safe and healthy. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy. The company is keeping its employees safe and healthy. I wonder if you're supposed to take anything away from those reports. So that's one of those where they they help distribute it to all the local reporters, and uh, Amazon's getting some other money's worth there. But California, back to California. California is really in a bad spot. Worse numbers like every day. It's just really bad. But somehow, I don't quite understand this, the science has changed. New science happens all the time. It's kind of the thing about science. But this time now, while a whole bunch of people are getting the Rona, we're reopening the economy. We're lifting the stay-at-home order in California, even when the data would seem to suggest things are worse than ever. Three of five regions in California were under the state's most recent stay-at-home order, including the San Joaquin Valley, which includes Kern County. Now the governor is announcing that the entire state is moving back to a reopening system that we've all seen before. All regions effective immediately are no longer in the stay-at-home order and will move back into the blueprint, a blueprint many of you are familiar with, the blueprint we refer to as a blueprint for a safer economy. Scrapping the regional stay-at-home order comes more than seven weeks after it was announced in December when a COVID surge swept across the state. This is really something to me. Uh, And I had to kind of go get some local reporting on this to kind of get that... um, what a remarkable, what a remarkable change in tone. What a remarkable change in tone. Uh, and I, I think it's two things. I think it's it's a bit of a math looking at how far can I push this before we really get to some kind of damage in the economy that prevents California from being competitive long term. How far can we push this? Somebody's doing that math. And I wouldn't be surprised if part of that calculus is a hope of some sort of federal aid. And the math has now come to the point where we're reaching the breaking point. I would argue they're past it. But I, I think they, I think California, with the help of these recent lockdowns, has entered a new phase of their slide. But anyways, that's a different show. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part is the vaccine. I think the hope is that even if this thing kind of begins to flare up, the vaccine will be coming along behind and kind of nipping it in the butt, preventing parabolic explosions. I think that's the hope, especially if they can be effective in distributing the vaccine. That was likely true back in December when they reinitiated the lockdown, though. I think the calculation was a little too extreme. And now they're trying to make good quick. And I think that's a little too late. They broke it.
And it's really it's really sad because we're going to talk about this as if it was the cost of fighting the virus. And we'll never have the conversation if the lockdowns were properly effective because it's it to me it's just from what I can tell it seems like the lockdowns never really did jack shit. Because as soon as we would go back out, it would just rage out of control. And even towards these final lockdowns, it really didn't seem to be doing much other than destroying businesses. I can't really see anybody also having the conversation. That's another one of these things you're not allowed to talk about. Only now, in this last week, has it kind of become okay to talk about the economy again. You see... When I first mentioned that we were killing businesses and economies and destroying family wealth and perhaps disabling family wealth for multiple generations, I was I was I was really gone after. People thought I was being cold, that I cared more about the economy than I cared about lives. And I was trying to say it's a balance of both. People's lives are enabled by small businesses for a lot of us. It can be an engine for an entire family which can affect many people. And it's a it's a risk when you when you when you kill that when you kill that funding source for a, a family network. I mean the, the the ramifications of that for that family and the knock-on ramifications for their children are pretty significant. So I actually did feel like it was a humanitarian thing to think about. But now <laughs> now 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 it's okay to talk about the economy. And I wonder if we'll get there with the election. I wonder if we'll get there. Because we kind of just jumped right over the whole fraud thing. In part thanks to Trump. I really think so. I think his antics just completely fast-forwarded the conversation. Uh, but before we get there, I would like to say please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash unfilter. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but if you can make it work for you, I would really appreciate it. Uh, and another way you could support the show is by spreading the word. That's patreon.com slash unfilter. And just a reminder, Jupiter – oh, yeah, that's a thing too, jupiter.tube. But no, uh, unfilter.tube. It's probably going to be pretty easy to mix those up. Unfilter.tube will be the future video platform for this show. So if you don't have that bookmarked yet, which you probably don't because I just set it up, go do that for me. All right? Moving right along. think Trump ever had a shot. I, I think I made that pretty clear right as the election wrapped up. I, I made my prediction that Trump would try to generate uh, as much support for himself as he could. Trump wouldn't be able to absorb a loss. It goes against his brand. These are not particularly clever calls, I don't think. Um, I don't think everybody was making those calls, but I don't think they were particularly clever. In all of this, though, I actually think there probably was some shenanigans. I, I am actually pretty interested. To, I would be really interested in seeing the Dominion systems audited just because I'm skeptical of electronic voting regardless because I know how inherently insecure the technology under them generally is. Uh, and I also think there was a few things that seem a little weird. Votes that got counted that normally wouldn't have been counted. And I think for 
a good portion. I don't think anybody will ever put a lot of me thinking here. But I don't think a lot of our population will ever agree on on how this election went down. I don't think you're going to have just this huge buy-off, right? Doesn't that seem pretty, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. You're, you'll always have a a nice 30%ish chunk, maybe even as much up to 70% <laughs> who think there's been some sort of election shenanigans. Either it was Russia with Donald or it was uh you know Trump fans who think the election was stolen from Trump. Uh and I really I really don't see a way around that unless there was a believable <laughs> trustable investigation into the election. And I not to overturn it, but just to just get all this on the record and to settle this and and to make sure that this democracy is healthy. But that you cannot have that conversation. And I want you to check out how hard George George Stepanopoulos from ABC goes after Rand Paul here. I mean, it's uh, it's like you got to toe the line. And there's a new media litmus test, and he asks it right up in front, and he doesn't even play. He makes it clear it's like the benchmark question that you must answer. Uh, Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Threshold question. <laughs> How about that? Isn't that some uh, 1984 news speak? Uh, Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Uh, this election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Well, what I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked at the evidence. Most of the cases were thrown out uh, for lack of standing, which is a procedural way of not actually hearing the question. There were several states in which the law was changed by the Secretary of State and not the state legislature. To me, those are clearly unconstitutional. And I think there's, a, there's still a chance that those actually do finally work their way up to the Supreme Court. Courts traditionally and historically don't like to hear election questions. But yes, were there people who voted twice? Were there dead people who voted? Were there illegal aliens who voted? Yes, and we should get to the bottom of it. I'll give you an example. In my state, when we had a Democrat Secretary of State, she refused, even under federal order, to purge the rolls of illegal voters. We got a Republican Secretary of State, and he purged the rolls. But, Senator it Paul, does I make have a to, difference, I, and those things I, I have, have to, to stop occur. you there. there no, no, no election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court, all were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations counts and recounts. The Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there's no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words, this election was not stolen? What I would suggest is... What I would suggest is that if we want greater confidence in our elections, and 75% of Republicans agree with me, is that we do need to look at election integrity, and we do need to see if we can uh, restore confidence in the elections. Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say President Biden won a legitimate fair election? Hey, George, 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 where you make a mistake is that People coming from the liberal side like you 
You immediately say everything's a lie instead of saying there are two sides to everything. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, but I say Senator, I said what the president fact, said was a lie because he to. said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This The results were certified in every you're single saying, state you're after saying, counts you're and saying, recounts. You're saying that absolutely it was, you're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. That's just not true. So it's not what I said, sir. I said the Department of Justice found no evidence. Let me, Let me finish. finish my point. No, you say you said something lie. that was you, not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. And I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right and we're wrong. Well, no. Rand's got him here. And this is what the problem has been all along. George is inserting himself. George is stating as a matter of fact, instead of just reporting the facts, George is telling you what the facts are. And he actually seems a little rattled. He seems a little over. He protests a little too much here. And Rand, who sometimes can seem like a bit of a loon, comes across completely reasonable. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, I Senator, I said what the president fact, said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This The results were certified in every you're single was, state you're saying, after counts you're and recounts. What's clearly what, what Rand's point is, is that the cases were thrown out for procedural reasons, not on the merits of the facts, but for procedure. And so what he is saying is when you look at what happened, and he, he will cite a couple of examples a couple times, it's worth some investigation. He's not saying the election's a fraud. He's not saying he wants to overthrow the election. But George just can't have it. And what the media is doing now is they're talking past the issues. And that's why more and more people don't trust them. More and more we have large groups of people who seek their own information sources. And that's how you can have a group of QAnon. I think I told you guys the story on, on the show, but when I was in Montana, I overheard a conversation from an older gentleman who had strung together everything from 9-11 to what was happening with Trump at the time. And the coronavirus and all of that was a 5G conspiracy. But it was it was it was obviously a reverse narrative that had been strung together by someone who is coming to it now, seeking their own information sources and didn't witness the information at the time. And I, I mean, I listened to this guy's conversation forever because we were hanging out in hot springs. <laughs> so, you know, you're just sitting there chilling, right? You didn't know where to go. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. He's got his shirt off. I've got my shirt off. I'm making like eyes at Hadia like, can you believe this? My wife, I'm looking at her like, can you believe this? And she's looking at me like, wow. Because she knows just by, you know, having conversations with me, she, she knows some of the background on some of this stuff. And this guy had managed to really concoct a narrative that was quite compelling that he was sharing with uh, a younger person. And I remember listening to it going, boy, he's got some information wrong here. He's connecting the dots where they don't need to be connected. Like individually, some of these things were things that were worth questioning and asking. And, and some of them were like legitimate issues individually, like especially, you know, like when it comes to like things that are pretty well known about Middle East strategy and stuff like some of that, like makes sense, but it wasn't all necessarily interconnected the way he was putting it. And my point here is, is that this had happened 
because he had to go get this information on his own and put it together. And unfortunately, he kind of got it from a bad mediator. You know, one of the things this show is, it's a it's a it's a kind of a meta show that puts all of the stuff together in the week for you and kind of delivers it with my thoughts and commentary along with it with a view on what makes history that week. And so that bar kind of kind of means that certain crap is just thrown aside. Only certain things make it in. But the thing that's kind of the secret sauce, it's not just the show, but it's a, it's a thing that really matters, is that it's audience funded. And so there's not like a drive for clicks. There's not like a drive for sensationalism. And that's what really constantly screws guys like Alex Jones. They go way too far. But the further you push that, the, the more you get traction, the more clicks you get. Right? It's just a, it's a, it's a really dangerous thing. So I think when you look at this and you hear how George is going after Rand, and what Rand is saying is, you know, there's some irregularities here that just don't make sense. And so that way everybody kind of has collective buy-off on the results. We could do this investigation and kind of clean up where there are issues. So that way future elections are safe. Now, how that might look to him, that's something that should be a conversation, but it wouldn't be his sole decision. This conversation is worth having even in a democracy that is hyper healthy, but it's absolutely worth having in a democracy that's struggling like ours. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, but I would say Senator, I said what the president fact, said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This The results were certified in every you're single was, state you're saying, after counts you're saying, and recounts. You're saying that absolutely it was you're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. And that's just not true. So it's, it's not what I said, sir. I said the department. Department of Justice found no evidence. Let me, Let me finish. finish my point. No, you say you said lie. something that was you, not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. And I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right and we're wrong. Well, let, no. Well, let's let's talk about the specifics of it. In Wisconsin, tens of thousands of absentee votes had only the name on them and no address. Historically, those were thrown out this time. They weren't. They made special accommodations because they said, oh, it's a pandemic and people forgot what their address was. So they changed the law after the fact. That is wrong. That's unconstitutional. And I plan on spending the next two years going around state to state and fixing these problems. And I won't be cowed by liberals in the media who say, there's no evidence here. and You're a liar if you talk about election fraud. No, let's have an open debate. It's a free country. It, there's there is no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results. That was stated as well by the Department of Justice, led by President Trump's Attorney General. In Wisconsin, there were counts and recounts. Actually, it was the never studied. That, even that's certified. not true. Even that's not true. Even William that's Barr not said true. That Barr said that. But there was yes, he said that. Yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Big, no, big news anchor George Stephanopoulos doesn't know the difference between a statement and an investigation. Really? Now, let me say, to be clear, I voted to certify the state electors because I think it would be wrong for Congress to overturn that. But at the same time, I'm not willing just to sit here and say, oh, everybody on the Republican side is a liar and there is no fraud. No, there were lots of problems and there were secretaries of state who illegally changed the law and that needs to be fixed. And I'm going to work hard to fix it. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. 
That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. Interview somebody on the other side, but don't insert yourself into the story to say we're all liars because we there, some fraud there, in there, the election. There are, not, there, are not two, there are not two sides to the story. This has been looked at in every single state. The election oh, sure there are. certified there are in every There are two sides to every state. story. George, you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who you are as a journalist if you think there's only one side. I can't believe this doesn't get more play. This is such a great conversation. And can you believe that George is forced to argue that there are not two sides to every story in this? How embarrassing for him. It's just amazing. Fix it. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. Interview somebody on the other side, but don't insert yourself into the story to say we're all liars because we there, some fraud there, in the there, election. There are, not, there, are not two, there are not two sides to the story. This has been looked at in every single state. The election oh, sure there are. certified there are in every There are two sides to every state. story. George, you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who you are as a journalist. If you think there's only one side, you're inserting yourself into the story to say, I'm a liar because I want to look at election fraud and I want to look at secretaries of state who illegally change the voter laws without the permission of their state legislatures. That is incontrovertible. It happened. And you can't just sweep that under the rug and say, oh, nothing to see here. And everybody's a liar. And you're a fool if you bring this up. You're inserting yourself into the story. A journalist I'm, would hear both sides, and there are two sides to this story. I'm, sta I'm standing by facts. There are not two sides to facts. I did not say there, <laughs> that this was a perfect election. I said it was. the results were certified. I said it was not stolen. It is You're a saying lie to people say are liars. You're stolen. saying people are liars if they want to investigate what happened in the election. Shouldn't That's we not what I said. the fact that tens of thousands of absentee ballots did not have addresses on them and normally were disqualified, but this time they were counted? Should we examine that? I don't know whether it affected the election or not, but I have an open mind. And if we actually examine this, we find out it didn't. That's fine, but it still should be fixed. There you go. There you go. Of course, he doesn't let it go. There, there's, there can be more investigations. The investigations that have taken place have shown there is not enough fraud to change the results of this election. That has been certified by every state. It was stated by the Justice Department and the Attorney General. And I accepted the state certifications, but it doesn't mean that I think that there wasn't fraud and that there weren't problems that have to be investigated. And it doesn't mean that the law wasn't broken. I believe in Pennsylvania they broke the law. And I believe if that ever would get a real hearing in the Supreme Court, it was denied for standing. It wasn't actually taken up. If it were taken up, I do believe that the Supreme Court would overrule and say that they did break the law illegally. I asked you a very simple question. Was the election stolen or not? I think there was a great deal of evidence of uh, fraud and changing of the election laws illegally. And I think a thorough investigation is warranted. Senator Paul, thanks for your time. That's it. He, I, I mean, I don't know what he, I don't know what George was expecting. I wanted to play that whole thing for you, though, because I just think it's. It's a little desperate, actually. I'm also not super happy with this trend of anybody who dared to certify the election is is being punished. Um, it's a fine line, right? You don't want to encourage insurrectionists. <laughs> but at the same time, you also don't want to prevent the legal process from working out the way it should. You don't want to create significant disincentives for the system to resolve itself should it ever have that possibility. And even if it was potentially abused this time, it, we may need an escape hatch someday in the future. 
All right, it's a bit of a gutsy move on the part of Google now promising to cut off all political action committee money for Republicans who voted against certifying the election results. They never made a move like that against some Democrats who did essentially the same thing. I mean, when you start, and I'm sure Google's not the only one, when you start cutting off the money, uh, well, that's going to change behavior. Let's just put it that way. I'm a little concerned about the significance of the discussion around domestic terrorism. It seems that this may be the new boogeyman for the administration. Dozens of civil rights organizations are expressing their concerns over the possibility of a new domestic terrorism bill that would ostensibly focus on white nationalists and neo-Nazis. The issue is what groups are considered terrorists and whether that constitutes profiling. Here's correspondent Mark Meredith. Yeah, of course it does. But we'll get to that. So domestic terrorism, that's the big problem because of all these unmoderated websites where we have gotten radicalization. Uh, That's why people don't trust the government because of unregulated social media. And uh, John Brennan, the former intelligence he was he was he not only was he CIA, but he also was like a I don't remember what the exact title was, but he was an intelligence liaison for Obama before he became the director of the CIA. Brennan was around during the uh, Snowden leaks. He was one of the big liars about Russiagate, did a lot of the leaking when you heard about former intelligence officials. It was often they were referring to people like John Brennan. And he joined MSNBC to say that the real issue is, is that this misinformation's out there and action has to be taken. And he knows because, you know, CIA. So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, Mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. <laughs> you damn libertarians. You're part of the problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got to move in laser like fashion to figure out who it is. And I was just listening to that clip and thinking, oh, isn't it ironic that our Discord, ours is fine at the moment, but our Discord is at risk and that I felt the need to set up unfilter.show slash matrix? Uh, I-, I don't like this. And uh, Tulsi Gabbard doesn't like it either. She thinks the direction is real bad and for obvious reasons, but she puts it just really well. Uh, It's so dangerous. You know, as you guys have been talking about, this is an issue that all Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians should be extremely concerned about, uh, especially because we don't have to guess about where this goes or how this ends. When you have people like former CIA director John Brennan openly talking about how he's spoken with uh, or heard from appointees and nominees in the Biden administration who are already starting to look across our country uh, for these types of movements similar to the insurgencies they've seen overseas that, in his words, he says, make up this unholy alliance of religious extremists, uh, racists, bigots. Uh, He lists a few others and adds at the end, even libertarians. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think she's absolutely right. I think she she completely nails it. You know what I say? I say, watch out, libertarians. You know what's going to happen? Bad boy. 
coming for you. Better start using encryption now, my friends. Make it look normal. All right, my favorite story of the week has got to be Wall Street and the pundits losing their lunch over Reddit day traders gaming the GameStop or GameStop. GameStop. I <laughs> get it. GameStop uh, stock. This is really a hell of a story. You may have heard a little bit about this. There's a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, and they've collectively been having a go at short traders, people who short stocks. This is really the edge of my understanding right here, but people who bet on the stock failing. They kind of like are vultures circling around a company. And the Reddit day traders noticed this and thought they'd uh, collectively have some fun. And now you got a few thousand people who've made a lot of money. <laughs> An army of users from the social media platform Reddit is turning the stock market on its head in what The Verge is calling an online tug of war. Regular folks using apps that allow them to make trades directly without going through something like a financial advisor are pumping cash into companies that Wall Street usually bets against. They short. And they are winning. Normally cheap stocks like GameStop have soared nearly 700 percent in the past two weeks. Joining me now is New York Times columnist and co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Box, Andrew Ross Sorkin. So I, I think I'm understanding what's going on, but break it down for us. Uh, this is Occupy Wall Street, but playing with money. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. It, why? Because it's the dirty masses? It's the people? Whoa, dude. Uh, this is Occupy Wall Street, but playing with money. So a group of folks uh, that started out was a group of folks on Reddit decided that they were going to take down hedge funds that had been betting against the stock, for example, of GameStop. And they effectively have bid up the shares uh, by using the options market, and they have won. Uh they played the players. See, what happened is they saw people who were essentially gaming the system hedging on their failure, and then spreading news to make the stock go down. And they preyed on them. You see, that's, what the, that's actually what's pretty brilliant about this. They have actually created billions of dollars of losses for hedge funds. And in the process, they have turned a company that had a $3 stock about a, within the past year into something that is now at about $300, about 20. Now, they've turned this company, which is a money-losing company, into a company that's worth over $22 billion, billion with a B. And um, I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it. See, these hedge fund folks... They didn't they had a great game going when the people don't get involved. But with tools like Robinhood and other tools, people are getting involved. And you have to figure after people have screwed around with Bitcoin for a little bit, buying stocks is tame. Uh, I'm concerned about it deeply because somebody when the music stops, somebody is going to be left without a seat. And the likely loser is actually not going to be the hedge funds. It's actually going to be, quote unquote, the protesters in this case. Huh, you know, it's interesting that people who make north of a million dollars a year uh, covering the establishment don't like it when shit changes for the establishment. Surprise. Uh, but this is this is actually, I think, a very fascinating story. It's now to talk 
uh, about some of what's uh, happening. Surat Sethi, managing partner at Douglas C. Lane. and a- This is another one of these financial shows. And this guy, they've just brought on real expert on Microsoft. But you see, the anchor of this show, even though that's why this guy was brought on, because this is this week was tech earnings week. And that's what they're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> but you see, he's so concerned, wrap, wrapped up, captivated by this GameStop Wall Street bet story that he derails the interview. CNBC contributor, there's, there's a couple of stories today, I, uh, I think, Sarat. I, I mean, I'd like to just talk about Microsoft and what's happening and fundamentals and how well the company's doing and the environment it's operating in. But it, it's just hard to focus when you have something so outrageous or just so uh, compelling. I don't know if it's outrageous. I don't know how to describe uh, GameStop. They, uh, it, when, when we talk about it as being manipulated or being gamed, uh, th- we immediately hear pushback that, that short sellers need to be taken to task. And- short sellers are vultures. <laughs> I was gonna I was going to play a clip, but honestly, the only people that really explain it very good are independent creators on YouTube if you want visuals, and I didn't want to just rip their stuff off. Like this, you know, this is CNBC, but I didn't. So if you're curious about this, do look this up because there's a lot of good videos that explain it, but they're not adding value to the marketplace here. And they've been doing this for years. This is a game they've been playing. Hedge funds represent unbelievable amounts of money. They have entire organizations. They are generating reports. They're generating meetings. They have clients Right. They have significant strategies. They have all of this stuff. And what's happening is they're getting their asses kicked by a bunch of hobbyists on Reddit. And they'll talk about it like, oh, two million people or three million people. They're looking just at the uh, at the uh, Reddit's members. For, you know, the subreddit subscribers. They're not. It's not how many people are necessarily placing bets. So anytime you hear a number quoted by the media on this, when they say like 2 million or 3 million, because they, they're kind of going back and forth, what's happening is is people are hearing about the news and they're subscribing to that subreddit. So that number is just skyrocketing right now. It's going up by the millions. And they're conflating that with the amount of people that are participating in the stock market. The reality is it's a much less significant number. And then it's even a much less significant number inside that that's actually playing significantly it it may even be in the hundreds right they're going to tell you it's in the millions it may even be for people that are playing more than three five hundred dollars three five hundred dollars it's probably in the hundreds maybe thousands but they're talking about it like it's the millions so these people are less significant than probably a medium player hedge fund but without the big organization without the clients without the fancy meetings without the christmas parties Without the investors, they're kicking their asses, and the people are making money, and it's blowing their minds. And, and this is the way to do it. What, what, overall, what, what are your opinions on, on what we're seeing with, with the whole saga of what's happening in some of these names, especially GameStop? So, did he just call it GameStop, too, like I did? Way to do it. What, what, overall, what, what are your opinions on, on what we're seeing with, with the whole saga of what's happening in some of these names, especially GameStop? I think he did. Maybe not. So, uh, Joey, it's scary as as an investor, and I, I we don't short. We, we you know if we don't want to be in a position, we- it's scary. It's scary. Douglas C. Lane and Associates. It's, it's scary. It's scary. It's scary. In fact, uh, you know what? Now is the time that these pundits should call for regulation, not with the entire short market, but now, 
now that a handful of the regular folk are making money, we better investigate this and get to the bottom. One of the things that we're talking about is maybe misinformation and, and uh, pump and dumps, and it's occurring on social media again. It just uh, I, I'm wondering whether it's part of the same problem, the type of regulation that that uh, that we finally need to uh, to consider. And like I said, uh, we should always have a light touch with regulation. But you're, you're these very market guys, these market guys uh, are, are are actually are actually recommending regulation. Seeing the way things can get started again, this is different. Maybe it's Reddit, maybe it's not Facebook, but you're seeing the, 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 the same situation. At this point, it's not about an election. It's not about a, uh, an insurrection, but there are interesting things happening that, that seem to be spawned to some extent, or at least, a, at least blown out of proportion by social media again, Adina. I, I do think, though, that as we look at these new technologies that are there available to everyone, including investors, I, I think it's also important for regulators to understand that, you know, manipulation is manipulation, whether it's happening through a new technology medium or it's happening through traditional mail. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of making sure that we understand what the behavior is, what's underpinning the behavior and working appropriately with the regulators to to uh, to manage the situation. Yep, we got to work with the regulators. We got to get this under control. It's some kind of misinformation. Maybe, maybe it's even something more nefarious. Could it be meddling? What kind of case do they have? We like the stock. We like the stock. I mean, that's that's the case. Ryan Cohen got so, in. He bought fifteen percent at eight dollars. He's on the board. We like the stock. How is that bad? Or do you think that they're concentrated and doing some sort of manipulation if they say they like the stock? Well, I don't know if they're concentrated because I don't have subpoena power and I can't really go well, out and look at it. I, don't even, I, I can, I can <laughs> argue. I don't even know if there are foreign powers at work here behind Please the scenes stop. trying to make chaos off our markets. It's Putin! It's Putin! I should have known. I should have known. It's a Russian bot campaign. That must be what it is. But Joe Biden's team, they're looking into it. Listen to this. Jen Psaki, White House spokesperson, speaking just a few moments ago. Our team is, of course, our economic team, including Secretary Yellen and others, are monitoring uh, the situation. It's a good reminder, though, that the stock market isn't the only measure of the health of our, econo- of our economy. <laughs> it's actually nice to hear that from the White House for once, isn't it? Uh, but my favorite moment was a debate between uh, Social Capital CEO and CNBC's uh, Scott, I think it's Wapner. <laughs> and uh, they just really kind of have at it. Degree can see their stocks rise in this magnitude and all of that is just fine. That there's nothing wrong with the integrity of the system if that is occurring. The, the lack of integrity in the system is the precursor that caused GameStop to be sold short 136% and for people to try to pile on and destroy a company in front of our eyes. That, to me, feels wrong. That feels pretty un-American, if you ask me. I think GameStop is a reasonable business. You know, I think what they do is reasonable. And so the fact that they shouldn't be allowed to exist because all of a sudden, like, we decide that they should be in, obliterated into the ground. Well, they that should be allowed to exist. To they, they should be allowed to exist at whatever their stock is should be valued at based on what their earnings are. And the stock was like the free market seventeen eighteen dollars not that long ago. Who says that? Who says that? Are you, do you want to make the same argument about Tesla? It's gone ten x in a few months. You don't know what it's worth. Let's be honest. 
Okay. You, and the you, smart don't, money, you don't think that Tesla's growth prospects? Scott, I, have, I have, Scott, I have my own model for the company. I'm allowed to underwrite however I want to own it. Everybody that bought that stock is also underwriting how they want to own it. And the point is, just because you're wrong doesn't mean you get to change the rules. Uh, <laughs> say it again. And the point is, just because you're wrong doesn't mean you get to change the rules. I love it. They don't like it, but it's all legal. In a way, they're like a peer-to-peer hedge fund. Like our new unfilter.tube video instance. It's peer-to-peer. That's one of the cool things about it, is as you watch the content, you distribute the content. Which is kind of a neat idea. If some of you went over there on release day and watched the overtime I'm posting, you'd help seed it to each other. So even the viewers help participate in the distribution of the content. It's pretty awesome. Which brings me to my next point. If you'd like to support the show outside of monetary means, sharing it with someone that you think would receive it well is a great way to do that. I say it all the time because it's true. Word of mouth is the best way to support a podcast. Think about it. It's a big time commitment. You're not going to listen unless somebody you trust tells you it's worth it. (laughs) It's just the reality of it. There's a lot of podcasts out there. So if you go to somebody and you say, hey, this one's really good. I think you should check it out. I think it'll give you something to think about. You think they'll receive it well. I think that helped the show out a lot. Also, reviews and ratings on like um, Apple Podcasts. uh, I was going to say iTunes. Or other podcast platforms. That helps... That helps with their search, which also helps with discovery. So that's really great, too. And of course, patreon.com slash unfilter. There's also the contact page or subscribe page, all that, and lots of links at unfilter.show. Check that out, unfilter.show slash 346. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode, and I'll see you right back here next week. 